Rugby League Back Chat is sponsored by TotalRL.com. Hello and welcome to Rugby League Back Chat from the LD Nutrition Stadium. Another busy week from the world of Rugby League and to chew the fat, we have three very special guests. Starting with the editor of League Express, Martin Sadler, writer and author, Mike Rylance, and the chairman of Swinton Lions, Andy Mercy. Gents, welcome. Uh, I want to start by talking about Easter. It's been and gone. <laughs> And everyone is now feeling the effects of it, as is documented by the extensive injury list uh, that is currently devouring squads up and down the country. 86 injuries currently in Super League. Martin, is that a point that quite simply tells us that we need to have a look at what we're doing with the Easter programme? Well, if we don't get that message now, we never will, will we? You know, I think um, the thing about Easter is that Good Friday is tremendous, in my view. There are some great games, mainly derby games and big crowds and so on. Um, but then we play again on, on Easter Monday and the crowds are never as good as they were on Good Friday. Um, and, and the players play looking as though they're a bit tired. And, and then the third game comes up uh, at the following weekend and, and the players, to me, look exhausted. And actually crowds drop quite significantly for that third game. So, you know, if, if, if we didn't have two games over Easter, we could spread the Easter games around the Easter period a lot more effectively uh, than we do at the moment. And, and I think we'd still get great crowds. We could play some games on Easter Sunday if we wanted to do that. And I think it would work really well. And, and the key thing is we'd have far fewer players uh, suffering the sort of injuries. I mean, we, we listed all those 86 injuries in League Express this week. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Hull have got 15, Hull FC are the, 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 the top of the league with 15. Castleford was second with 11. And it, this is just in Super League before you even start thinking about the championship. So, Andy, I don't know whether you would, you know, agree with me that, that actually the time has come to actually change what we do at Easter. I think I would. I think, you know, t- historically, Easter has been a period as a supporter you look forward to, don't you? You know, you've got your your long weekend off work and you you know you, you get your rugby league in and it's a double fix over the weekend but the, you know it takes its toll on the bodies of, uh, of these guys and these athletes you know I think times have changed and they are finely tuned athletes now aren't they and, of course you know the big athletes and the collision and the contact and everything that goes with it it's it takes a lot out of these guys' bodies. Mike, you've seen a lot of things come and go from inside rugby league. Mm. Easter is one thing that has been a tradition we've kept hold of. What What's your take on this? Do we need to move on? It is a tradition, and I, I like to see traditions generally maintained. But it seems to me to be something of an anachronism these days, um, in that we always used to look forward to it, as Andy said. But I think the time has come now where working habits for supporters have, have changed over the years. So some people work on um, Good Friday or on Easter Monday, don't necessarily have the whole of that long weekend off. And we've got to take that into consideration as well. Having said that, we have the players also who we could treat, if, uh, if you like, as, as employees. And to put them through the mill twice in a short period of time seems to me to be unrealistic in this day and age. Martin, in terms of the product, we talk about trying to sell rugby league as this great product. The game on Thursday, Wigan, London, was anything but a spectacle, if we're completely honest. Was that surely not a knock-on effect of the fact that we've asked those players to play four times in 13 days? Well, that certainly 
as, as I've said, it, it does have its effect. There's no doubt about it. Although I thought actually mm. that game wasn't quite as as bad as some people suggest. Really? I thought, oh yeah, I, I, I thought <laughs> London were really quite impressive. If I'm right. really honest about it, we, you know, and they they were able, they, they they showed how to deal with Wigan actually, and you know, they, they couldn't quite pull off a victory. But um, but I thought they played extremely well. But you know, in in in, in a wider sense, I, you know, I, I really do hope that the clubs are gonna sit down and, 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 and sort this out fairly mm -hmm. soon. Um, because, you know, the, 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 one of the problems actually for the players, which I've, I've sort of talked about for quite a while, is that they don't have a really <coughs> strong players' union to, to deal with this sort of issue. I'm, I'm fairly sure that if, if the players had something like the Professional Footballers Association mm -hmm. or even the Rugby Union Players Association, I think they would be coming, you know, with this issue as one of the foremost in mind to to, to get sorted out. <coughs> Let's not forget. I mean, look, it's obviously tough for the Super League players. What about the poor part-time lads, Andy? I mean, they they don't have the luxury of of recovery in between the games. Some of them will be about working. These are part-time lads. They're asked to do exactly the same thing. Exactly right, and I think that's one of the big issues with the Championship as well. Let's not forget, you do have an element of full-time yeah. clubs playing against part-time lads, and and I think that can be. Uh, I wouldn't say dangerous, but certainly it's not the best because, you know, taking our club as an example, we played mm -hmm. on Good Friday, we travelled to Batley on Easter Monday, and then within days we had to get the guys on a, a flight over to Toronto. And, yeah. you know, that, that does take its toll on guys' bodies. But, you know, again, they, they are big, strong, the full-time guys, are, you know, they're, as we speak now, they're sat in, in rehab and, and swimming pools and mm -hmm. working on injuries. And, and the, 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 unfortunately, the part-time lads are on building sites, And, and of course, it's a problem that Toulouse have all the time with the travelling that they have. You know, it's, it's a very difficult weekend for them. I, I, I know from speaking to them um, that if we're going to have foreign teams in the British competition, then we ought to take that into account as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, so I think you definitely <laughs> drew the short straw, Andy. I mean, I, somebody giving you that that schedule of matches over Easter, I think somebody at the RFL doesn't like you all that much. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the question, though. So we all seem to be in agreement that we need to revisit the Easter schedule and do something with it. Martin, what do we do with it? It's easy for us to say it needs to change. How do we change it for the well, better? Well, I think you've just got to have one match over Easter. That's as, it's as simple as that, really. But we're already starting the season in January. Well, we are. And, and quite frankly, you know, I don't think we should have 29 matches during the season. I mean, the Super League season is, is, is 29 matches. That, that includes a magic weekend and six loop fixtures. Yeah. I think we've got to move away from that. We've got to recognise that sometimes you've got to go for quality over quantity. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've always thought that playing other teams three times is crazy anyway. You know, it, it, I, I just don't think it works. I mean, it's interesting, this year the Championship have got 14 clubs and they're playing each other once, plus the Summer Bash. Mm -hmm. Now, that's a, that gives 27 fixtures, doesn't it? Yes. That's a better arrangement. If, if Super League had that, mm -hmm then, you know, you, you could have that one game over Easter, couldn't you? So we say, so 14 teams would be an option to bring well, I think Well, I think Super League ought to have 14 teams, personally. Yeah, I'd second that as well. Yeah. Uh, I mean, 12 is far too few. Um, it doesn't stimulate the appetite of the, of the audience for it in the first place. Um, you get tired of seeing the same teams play each other time and time again. We've said this endlessly. Um, but nothing. But would that not then dilute the quality, Andy, if you bring two extra teams in? 
I think looking at it at the moment, if you took the top two from Championship at the moment, they're both full-time operations. Yeah, yeah. They're both uh, clubs that I feel could compete with the bottom end of, of Super League at the moment. But that wouldn't always necessarily be the case, would it? Mm -hmm. But just to emphasise what Mike says, um, this weekend we've got Warrington playing Wigan in the Challenge Cup. And, and, and Danny Spencer, who's our, our stats man, put out a tweet a, a few days ago saying that, that those two clubs have played each other 20 times since 2015, you know, in, 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 in various competitions and so on. Yeah. Now, that, you know, it, to be able to sell that game as something really special is very difficult when they're playing each other so so many times, isn't it? Agreed. It's just it's just too much, really. You, you may dilute the quality, though I doubt it, but you certainly increase the interest and... and, and increase the diversity. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. If I was to play devil's advocate a little bit here though and i'm sorry sorry to do that but i have no to do worries. that sometimes <laughs> if if you go to if you go to 14 yes you you might not dilute the quality but we're having another league restructure aren't we do we really want another one again we were all mourning that we were having another one a couple of months well, ago. well the thing is that we, the, the current tv contract runs out in 2021 and the new one will come in from 2022 as, as it stands at the moment and we've got to be planning ahead and deciding how we're going to create a structure that is going to appeal to television, to, 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 to broadcasters. And in my view, sticking to 12, just 12 clubs in Super League, as, as Mike has pointed out, is not really very attractive because you've only got 12 clubs. Um, it's interesting, isn't it, that even then Sky as the broadcaster, tend to only focus on some of those clubs and not others. There was a letter in our, um, in, in, in our newspaper recently from somebody who wrote rather sceptically but quite understandably saying Castleford are on virtually every week. Mm -hmm. And of course Sky picked Castleford because Castleford tend to be a, a side that plays attractive rugby. But by doing that, you know, you're in danger of just, of, of, of just overfeeding the viewer, aren't you? With, but uh, but with in, in football, you know, Liverpool and Man City are on every single week at the minute. Is, is there any is there any difference? Yeah, but there? football's a different beast, isn't it? Football's the national game, and people do want to see these um, big clubs, don't they? And you know, I, I don't think we can really compare ourselves with football. It'd be great if we could, but I, I, I don't think we can do it at this moment. Just to wrap up this topic, then, Mike. It, Look, same 14 teams moving forward. That's not going to happen next year. So if we're going to change it next year, how do we change it? What, what's the short-term fix before the next broadcasting contract to, to make Easter more manageable? Well, I wouldn't be looking at short-term fixes, to tell you the truth. Um, I'd, I'd be looking to the, to the medium term, and I think 14 teams is the solution. Mm. And for next season, I would certainly drop um, one of the Easter fixtures. So, Andy, what, what would you do next next year if it's still going to be 12 in Super League? Well, first of all, I agree with Mike. I think we've got to stop looking at short-term uh, you know, visions and, and look at the, the big picture and, and you know, medium to long-term and uh, whatever. I'm not a great believer in sort of chopping and changing all the time and you do reach a certain point where whatever change you do make, then you've got to back it and you've got to stick with it. So I'm not, I'm, I've not got all the answers. I don't really know the, the, the solution, but uh, whatever we, if we do anything, whatever we do, We've got to back that and, and, and move forward with it. Martin, you normally have a, uh, an idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, I actually wrote a, a, an article in, um, in, in the current issue of Rugby League World magazine um, in which I was advocating 
when the new contract comes about, that, that there ought to be 16 teams in Super League split into two eight-team conferences. Mm. Um, because I think, you know, maybe divided East and West, broadly speaking. Because uh, I think we've, we've, we've got to get more teams at, 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 at the top level. Because uh, I'm a great believer in, in this idea that, you know, the more teams there are, the, the wider the footprint of the sport, mm. and therefore the easier it is to generate additional spectators and viewers and so on. Well, just talk, talk us through the idea of two conferences. What, what, well, what, 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 I, what I would like to see um, is, is in 2022, two conferences of eight, which would involve home and away fixtures within each conference. So that would give 14 fixtures. And then eight fixtures against teams in the other conference to give a total of 22. I would also, um, I'm, I'm going to put this forward um, in, in a meeting shortly uh, with, with some people from Super League, reorganise the Challenge Cup. Because I think when we talk about reorganising Super League, what we have to do in parallel uh, with that is reorganise the Challenge Cup. Because mm -hmm. the Challenge Cup is Rugby League's greatest competition in many respects, in, in certainly in terms of being the oldest. And yet it's been neglected in recent years. And we see some terrible crowds, don't we, at, Unfortunately, at, at yes. Challenge yeah. Cup games. And, and my solution for that is to make the early rounds of the Challenge Cup pool-based so that they could be, so you could sell season tickets for mm -hmm. early Challenge Cup games. Um, because I think if you don't do that, you're never going to see an improvement yep. in, in, in Challenge Cup crowds. So that's, that's a whole argument that we could talk about for quite a long time. Well, well Andy, without, I know, putting I know you, a bit short time. without putting you on the spot, what's your initial thought to that? Uh, it would be a drastic change, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, That's would. quite a radical change, isn't it? But uh, certainly I, I think there's a lot of mileage in, in what Martin's saying there. Mm -hmm. I think at our championship meetings, we've discussed different, you know, uh, different scenarios and, mm -hmm. and, and conferences and maybe regionalising things, maybe, you know, that, that may be the future. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's guys paid um, to... to come up with these concepts and, and hopefully if we do do something, there's no guarantees anything's going to change. Yeah. But if we do, as I say, hopefully it can be well thought out and something that can work for as long, you know, medium mm. to long term. I guess it's important that we don't neglect the championship as well. I mean, you look at that competition at the minute, the playoff race looks remarkable. The, the battle at the bottom looks remarkable too. It's been a great competition to be involved in, hasn't it? It's fantastic from top to bottom, really. You know, there's... Uh, there, there are some some great clubs in there as well. Let's not forget. I mean, some of the, the clubs within that competition are the very big clubs, and arguably, without you know some of the guys in Super League, some of the clubs in Super League without the funding from Sky would not be as big as some of the clubs in Championship. Mm -hmm. So you know, let's not certainly not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Let's look at the bigger picture and the sport as a whole. One of the interesting things in the Championship this year, um, Andy, is that the two promoted clubs, Bradford and York. You often find that promoted clubs struggle, don't you, in, in yeah. when they get promoted. But they have actually performed extremely well. And they're both either in or just around the playoff places. You know, and <clears throat> it, it, the, the championship seems to be splitting into an eight-team top tier and six-team bottom tier, although that bottom tier does include Widnes, who are sort of, you know, they've, they've, they've cleared their deficit now and are sort of slowly moving up. But, I mean, it is, you know, there are eight clubs at the moment battling for those five places, which is a really exciting comp, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a good competition and arguably there's divisions within divisions in, mm. in, in that case, with the, the top eight being strong and, and probably four, four from that eight at the top with realistic ambitions of wanting to be in Super sure. League as well. You, so. see, you see some good quality games as well. I mean, there's yeah. no getting away from it. Um, where teams are encouraged 
by their coaches quite often to play in a more expansive kind of way. Again, I'm thinking of Toulouse, who are an absolute delight to watch and, and play a brand of rugby league that is far superior, given the constraints of playing in the championship as opposed to Super League, far superior to many that I see in the upper level, to be honest. Um, and it's what fans want to see. They want to see uh, teams throw the ball around, but not stupidly. Uh, and Toulouse seem to have found a way to do this, to play adventurous rugby league um, and without neglecting their defence and, and ball possession. Is that uh, really because Martin, of John? Have, I'm going to have to stop you there because we've run out of time in the first part of this week's Rugby League Bat Chat. After the break, we'll be talking about Dave Ferner's departure from Leeds, Summer Bash, Magic Weekend and Catalan and Wigan's trip to the new camp. Stay right here after a short break. We'll be back with more on Rugby League Bat Chat. Hello and welcome back to Rugby League Bat Chat. Lads, um, we can only talk about one thing now. Dave Ferner has left Leeds Rhinos. They've had a shocking start to the season by their own high standards. Matt, and I interrupted you before the break, so you can uh, you can start us off here. What are your thoughts on the fact that Ferner's gone from the Rhinos? Well, I am surprised. Um, I didn't think that Leeds would make such a, what looks like a hasty decision. Um, obviously, uh, when, when the decision was announced on Tuesday. They said that Dave Ferner had met over the weekend with Gary Hetherington and um, Kevin Sinfield. Um, the, th the thing about Ferner was that it, it was actually quite an impressive guy, you know, when it comes to dealing with the media. I thought he spoke well. Uh, I thought he spoke coherently, logically. I, you know, you could see what he was trying to achieve, I think. But I, I, I think he... I think, I think it was really, his, his goose was cooked by the fact that, you know, those three players, those three major players that they got from Australia, uh, two of whom are marquee players for them this season, probably, uh, when all said and done, haven't really produced the goods as much as the club would have hoped they would do. Do you think Conrad Hurrell's not well, been Well, Hurrell's been the best of them, but, mm. but, but then, of course, he's been injured, hasn't he? Mm. He plays a style of game that tends to draw injuries, uh, on himself, and so he's missed a few games recently. Um, and you know the Rhinos have struggled in those games. I think when they went to Salford and got beaten fairly convincingly after having won at Salford earlier in the season, that's obviously the the, the game that, that the straw that broke the camel's back, as far as Leeds Rhinos are concerned. Mm. Um, but I'm still surprised because I don't really think that Leeds are in any danger of relegation this year. To be perfectly honest. And I, I think, you know, I, I always tend to go back to football and Alex Ferguson taking over at Manchester United. Started off with a terrible record, but they persevered with him and he ended up winning everything. <clears throat> so I don't know. Andy, would you have sacked Dave Ferner as a chairman? Probably not, no. no. I, I am a firm believer in giving people every opportunity, whether that just be in day-to-day -day business or, or sport. And, and I'd, I'd like to think as a rugby league, as a whole, and again, we don't become, you know, the sacking culture doesn't mm -hmm. become upon us, really, because I think we're better than that. I think, you know, uh, but clearly, you know, we're not behind the scenes at Leeds. We don't know what's going on day to day, and, and there will be reasons. You know, you don't, yeah. make, you don't make decisions without having reasoning behind it. I mean, don't, I mean, to be fair to Leeds, they have grossly underachieved so far, haven't they? They Mike? have. They have. And it's a team that doesn't really work together very well. They haven't, they haven't gelled together and the coach must bear some of the responsibility for that. Having said that, I do agree with, with Martin and Andy that it does seem like a, a rather hasty decision to, uh, to sack the coach after such a short period in place. 
you've not given him really very much time to to put his team together. Where where do Leeds go from here as a club, Martin? They've they've had co coaches come and go. Brian McDermott left less than a year later. David Fern has gone. The recruitment, many people say, hasn't been good enough for a long, long time. What do Leeds do to get back to the height? Because it seems like they're a long way off it at the minute. Well, Leeds, until fairly recently, were a byword for stability, weren't they? You know, they had um, they had a poor time um, when Super League first began, and they made some appointments that didn't work. One of them was Daryl Powell, incidentally, his first coaching job when he was very inexperienced and, and didn't quite manage to pull off the sort of results that, that Leeds expect. They then went through the Dean Lance um, coaching situation, which was problematic. But then it started working out for them when they got Tony Smith in, in 2004. And if you remember, that's when they won their first grand final in that year. Mm -hmm. They had great success with Tony, Tony Smith, and it carried on right throughout the Brian McDermott, you know, Brian McLennan in the first <laughs> instance, and then Brian McDermott. Um, but then I thought, you know, they panicked um, when they sacked Brian McDermott, in, mm -hmm. in, in, in my view. Um, and I, I don't think that was a wise decision. Um, they brought in Kevin Sinfield, and, and Leeds had never gone for marquee players before Kevin Sinfield came to the club. You know, Gary Hetherington has always uh, run a very tight ship financially, and he's always taken advantage, um, quite rightly, I think, of the fact that players want to play for Leeds. Mm -hmm. So he's always been able... I always remember Gary saying to me that, you know, success in... Super League these days comes from success in managing the salary cap mm. and, and Gary was always very good at doing that but he's relinquished that role it seems to me now given it to Kevin Kevin has gone out and got two marquee players from Australia yeah. and you've got to say that, that doesn't look to have worked so far does it? The, I mean, the, the flip side of that is were they lucky with that crop of players was, that came through Andy? I was just going to say that Martin made reference to Alex Ferguson and, and, the, and the United mm -hmm. glory days, if you like. Um, Leeds had a very, very successful period in terms of a crop of players that, you know, arguably like the class of 92 mm -hmm. at United, you may never see again. You know, they had some seriously yeah. all coming through at once. You do obviously get from time to time quality world-class players yeah. coming through, but they had a crop, didn't they, of, uh, of, of real, real strong talent and... That may be, you know, that underpins a team, doesn't it? When you get yeah. that level of uh, that caliber of player coming through all at once, you've all come through the system together. They're all mates. They all, they all back each other on the field and off it. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe that mentality may, might not be there at the moment. And the, the the thing is, if you take him, Man United, they always managed to rebuild, didn't they? They haven't done since Ferguson's left, to be fair, but they. They've always managed to rebuild a new squad. Leeds were now in that position where they had to rebuild a new squad, but for a couple of years, Mike, they haven't been able to do that, have they? How, how concerning is that for Leeds and for the ambitions that they hold? I think the problem for Leeds is, is a, a widespread one in that they, they have a problem with their halfbacks who are not performing or haven't done so far to the standard that we expect of, of Leeds halfbacks. But there is a dearth of halfbacks throughout the game. Um, the clubs who are successful at the moment tend to be those with experienced players in those key positions. Mm -hmm. And at Leeds, it's not happening, unfortunately. Mike, I think you're absolutely right that the um, Leeds halfbacks haven't really been performing as well as everybody would like them to. And it's interesting to contrast that with what's been happening at Warrington, where 
they've got four players in the spine positions, mm -hmm. one, six, seven, and nine. They've got Ratchford, Blake, Austin, Deck Patton, and Darren Clark. And those four players have started in every single Super League game this season so far, which, which obviously gives stability, mm -hmm. uh, obviously generates a tremendous amount of understanding between those four players. And for the most part, given Warrington's results this season, you can see how that's worked out. But Leeds, on the other hand, they brought in Tuilola here, for example, and they don't seem to be sure whether he's actually a full-back or a yeah. standoff half. They've been moving him around from, <coughs> from one to the other. And, of course, that tends to disrupt the team because they've got Jack Walker at full-back and then they, you know, leave him out to play Lola here there. I don't think it necessarily probably generates great team spirit either. So they need to sort it out. But the problem is that, um, you know, this year Sinfield came in and, and brought, brought in two marquee players who have not yet fully, as far as I'm concerned, delivered the goods. Right, Andy. Whose names are we throwing into the hat for the job then? Whew, well, there's a, there's a few recently vacated mm -hmm. uh, positions elsewhere from the Championship, isn't there? So, you know, but... The route they take now is, is probably they've tried the overseas route, you know, a relatively high profile overseas route with marquee signings. Is there an argument to be had that, you know, you, you maybe look within or somebody who's played at the club and you look at the youth um, and, and get back to those days of maybe bringing some 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 younger players into the side? And mm -hmm. it's a d difficult decision, isn't it? You know, it's, if, if we had the answers, we'd be, uh, yeah. we'd be sat over at Henley now, wouldn't we? <laughs> Mike, what do you think, domestic or overseas? I'd like to see a domestic coach take over at Leeds. I don't see why not. There's plenty of talent around. Um, on the other hand, Australian coaches do appear to be doing the business at, at major clubs as well. I mean, St. Helens to, to name but one. But then it has to be a very wise decision. Um, the, the appointment has to be a very wise one in the first place. And far be it from me to say who it's going to be. Right, Martin, I'm putting you in charge of Leeds Rhinos. <clears throat> of Leeds Rhinos, right. Who are you in your ideal case scenario appointing as the next head coach? Well, let's go on precedent. Um, when Brian McDermott was appointed, where did he come from? Uh, London. Mm. And who's in charge at London at the moment? Danny Ward. Who's got a great history, of course, at uh, Leeds Rhinos as, as a former player. Um, so maybe that's one way forward. D Danny Ward would certainly bring a lot of um, fun back to Headingley, I think, mm -hmm. you know, because he's is that sort of guy. The thing that impresses me about him is every time you see him, you know, on the side of the pitch, he always seems to be smiling and enjoying himself. Mm -hmm. And whenever he talks about his role at London, he's, he's incredibly enthusiastic. And I, I think one of the problems at Leeds is um, that it, it almost seems too serious now. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's not that it doesn't seem as much fun as it should be. Uh, put it that way. He also has the ability to to make his teams grind out wins when necessary. Think of Toronto last season. As he know. demonstrated at Leeds this season. Y yes, yeah. indeed. Earlier yes. this season. Yeah. yeah. What about from the Championship, Andy? You made a good point. There's been some vacancies recently. Richard Marshall is out of a job and was sat with Kevin Sinfield at the Salford game. Would he be someone that would come into leaders thinking? I, I personally think Richard's earned a shot at a, at a job. Now, whether that be going in as an assistant, mm. firstly in Super League and then progressing, or whether you would, uh, you know, you'd, you'd back him and, and take a punt on Richard. But certainly, for, for me, he's, he's certainly earned his earned an op the chance to be given an opportunity because he's, he's done very well with 
a limited budget really in terms of the, the, the bigger clubs in the championship. He's he's punched above his weight, hasn't he? And he's uh, I, my experiences, Richard, have been really positive. He's uh, he's a very humble guy. He's he's well spoken. You know, he does from he, he does and says all the right things as far as I, I'm mm -hmm. concerned. So. I'd be, I'd be, you know, I'd love to see a guy like that get a chance and an opportunity. A young British coach. I mean, you look across the championship. There's others with Leeds connections. Matt Biskin, of course, yeah. coaching over at Batley. Yeah. The yeah. other, the other point that's probably worth making is that Justin Holbrook's contract at St Helens runs out at the end of this year. What are you trying to imply? Um, and <laughs> in in our newspaper this week, Eamon McManus, the chairman of St Helens, says he's going to sit down to talk about a new contract with Justin Holbrook. <laughs> um, but he said, you know, he's aware that, or Eamon told me that he's aware that, you know, other clubs, he was thinking about the NRL, mm -hmm. have probably got their eyes on Holbrook as well. But what's to stop Leeds now going in and saying, you know, let's, um, let's think about talking to you about Leeds? Mm -hmm. Well, if we speak about Super League coaches, there are some great British coaches in, in Super League who are doing a fantastic job. Ian Watson. Salford, who've got one of the lowest budgets in Super League, he's had to rebuild three squads because they've sold all the players. The two points are third at the minute. How about a wild card? Ex-Leeds player, Sean Wayne. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> wow. That, yeah. that would be news, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, well, and well, then, of course, there's Daryl Powell at, yeah. um, at, at Castleford, yeah. who yeah. I know when, uh, when, when Daryl got that job initially, um, he, he then stood down from the Leeds coaching position, but it was always said that he would come back again and, um, well, and, well, and carry on Mike, in, do you, do later. You, would Daryl Powell leave Castleford to go back to Leeds when you consider where the two clubs are, what he's achieved at Castleford? Would, is, is Leeds a, a more lucrative role than the Castleford one now? Well, far be it from me as a Wakefield person to be giving advice to Leeds, because. You know, <laughs> but if I were Daryl Powell, I would stay put. Uh, I mean, you know, he 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 played for Leeds and played very well for Leeds. Um, but as a coach, he didn't make it early on in his career, as Martin said earlier. Um, but there's no way that I would be going back to old territory if I were Daryl Powell. No, he's, he's he's got plenty on at Castleford. They're, they're playing reasonably well at the moment. They played very well in the past, and there's no reason why they can't reach those heights again. And if they were to go overseas, Flanagan, he's out of a job, isn't he? He would be an obvious, an obvious possibly, fit. Possibly, possibly. Um, you know, he might carry too much baggage, I suppose, given what mm. happened at Cronulla. Uh, and, you know, the fact that the NRL stood him down for not complying with their requirements, um, not to get involved with the club when he was suspended. So, you know, I'm not sure that Leeds would want that sort of thing. But, but the thing that's really interesting to point out about Leeds is that they've just spent, I think it's something like £45 million on upgrading their stadium. And it looks absolutely tremendous, I've got to say. Um, and I think it's a week on Friday, um, May the 16th, that they actually uh, are hoping or intending to open the stadium in its entirety with the brand new main stand completely um, operational. And they play Castleford on, on that day, oddly enough. And when you've spent so much money on getting the stadium sorted out, they need to recoup or start recouping that, don't they? So whoever they recruit, they need to be sure it's going to be the best man for the job. And my suspicion is that whoever they decide that is going to be, they'll probably have the financial capacity to attract him from 
virtually anywhere, really. And Andy, just to wrap this up, they've got the small matter of a Challenge Cup game against Bradford uh, <laughs> as, as the first game. Richard Agar being charged, who we've, we've not mentioned yet. Realistically, can Bradford beat Leeds? Is, is that something that we could realistically think could happen or not? I, I don't see why not. I think, obviously, you know, we spoke earlier about the, the, there being a number of teams in Championship that view themselves potentially as, as being Super League clubs, and mm -hmm. Bradford have got to be one of those. Um, they, I watched the game on, uh, on was it Saturday against Toronto. I thought they, they coped very well with the, the the big boys in the middle, and you know, for, but for a couple of spells in that game, I thought they were you know they looked very much uh, in that contest, and, and I suppose it's how they recover from the travel and uh, and what what state they're in come come the weekend, but. I don't see any reason why they can't get up in front of a big crowd uh, and have a real good dig. There we go. Right, we're going to wrap things up there. Coming up in the final part of Rugby League Patch Chat, we'll be speaking about the Catalans' trip to New Camp, plus many other matters from the world of Rugby League. We'll be right back after a short break. Welcome back to the final part of this week's Rugby League Back Chat. Don't forget, you can get involved in the conversation too on Twitter at RLBackChat. There were certainly some comments made last week, gents, that uh, made us go viral. Let's see if you can uh, come up with any in the final <laughs> part. We're going to talk about the new camp uh, because in a couple of weeks, Catalans and Wigan will go to the iconic stadium and uh, take part in a Super League game, which looks like it will be a record Super League attendance. Mike, I think you're probably in the best position to talk to us about this, given your, your association with French Rugby League. How big, how pivotal is this in the, in the growth of French Rugby League? I don't know about pivotal, but it <clears throat> certainly it's, it's, it's going to be very big. Um, this game could see the not only the biggest Super League attendance, but also the biggest attendance for a so-called home game by a French club ever. Um, the statistics on this matter are pretty vague, as with most French statistics, but um, the biggest attendance in France for any match at all was in the 54 World Cup in, of about 38,000 in Toulouse when France played Great Britain. We could see that broken. Um, I'd like to think that that might be the case. Since the Catalans say that they've already sold 20-odd thousand tickets. The uh, Barcelona club is about to put tickets on sale. They hope to sell between 10 and 15,000. It should be touching 40,000 by the time the gates are opened um, on May 19th. So, um, it's a historic moment as well. I mean, the media are going to get hold of this. They already have done, but will do um, throughout France because it's, uh, and Spain as well for that matter, because it is a big event in the biggest stadium in Europe. For, to get the Perpignan thing in as well, and, and there is that association between Catalonia, and, and you can talk to us about this far better than I can, but how important is it that it gets that exposure, that we are getting into such an, an amphitheatre, one of the, the iconic amphitheatres in sport? Yeah, there is a connection, the, the, the cross-Pyrenees connection there. Um, I'm not sure how deep that goes, to be honest, um, in the sporting sense, uh, because most teams tend to look at their own immediate area, Barcelona and Perpignan as well, for that matter. But Bernard Wash, the chairman, is Catalan um, by extraction. His father crossed the Pyrenees in the 30s with the family. Um, so there, is a, there are personal connections there, apart from anything else. Mm -hmm. As far as the game is concerned, um, it's just another step along the road to achieving greater rec recognition for French Rugby League. The Challenge Cup did it to a certain extent last year, and hopefully this will do it again this year. Mark, how, how much did the Challenge Cup help um, French Rugby League last year? Because obviously 
the obvious outcome of, of of that win is this game, isn't it? That you know that this is the greatest result of, of Catalans winning the cup last year. Yeah. But I wonder, you know, that there was more coverage. I mean, L'Equipe did, for example, the, mm. the French national sporting newspaper. Yeah. yeah suddenly gave coverage to rugby league that it hadn't done for years. Absolutely. You know, and uh, is is that, and and of course, we've also had stories about sponsors transferring over from Mm. rugby union to the Catalans Dragons in in Perpignan itself. So that all seems incredibly positive to me. It is positive. The fact that the sponsor switched over to Catalans is partly due to the fact that that USAP, the rugby union club, are are doing so badly because they're going to be demoted at the end of this season back into the second division. So rugby league in Perpignan has really got its tail up at the moment. Um, and you're right to say that, that the Challenge Cup win allowed this game in Barcelona to take place in a certain sense because suddenly everybody knew who the Catalan Dragons were. National newspapers who don't normally touch rugby league at all, or much of any sport for that matter, suddenly took an interest. I had a phone call from Le Monde, for example, who published a long interview um, about their achievement um, and so on and so forth. It, it, it raised the profile of the game in France, the Catalan Dragons specifically, much higher than we could have hoped for by any other means. And do you think, for example, if Toulouse came into Super League, either you know next season or the season after, that would raise it even more? Absolutely. There's nothing I would like to see more than Toulouse compete in Super League, where you've got, we've said it before, but we'll say it again, two French Super League teams playing on home soil uh, would, be, would be a massive a massive boost for the game. Plus the fact that hopefully you would have greater impetus even for young French players to come through because they have two teams uh, to to find their way into in order to increase the standing of the France national team and heaven knows it needs it. Andy, what's your take on it all? I think it's very positive. Um, I I read a lot of the social media and uh, I saw recently that Barcelona put out a tweet Yep. which it's an audience of 30 million people. Well, you know, let's be honest, the game can't, can't turn that kind of uh, publicity and promotion down, can it? Yep. So I just, see, I just see absolutely nothing negative at all about this, uh, this, this game going over to Barcelona. Are there, any, are there any slight concerns, anything to be cautious about, Mike, with, with this? Um, the only thing I would say is that we have to bear in mind that um, French rugby union's top division held their championship final there two seasons ago and sold it out. Now, we, we, that puts rugby league into perspective. We, we do really need a big crowd to come, well, maybe halfway <coughs> towards that. Um, we're not expecting miracles, but you know, we, we do need to put it into context. So whatever we think about it being absolutely great, you've got to look at it within the wider, the wider context, I feel. Martin, we do obsess about crowds in rugby league and the, the sizes and whatnot. We, uh, we had a quite strong debate about it last week on the Toronto front. In your eyes, how many people need to be in the new camp on, uh, on that day to make it a success? Or well, is it already a success that we're going there? Well, I think it is, it, it is already a success that we're going there. It, 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 what's successful about it is that they were invited to go there yeah. by the president of the Barcelona club, which, which was quite remarkable, really. Um, and I, th- I, I think, it, I mean, Mike's already said it, it, it. If they get more than twenty-five thousand people there, it will be the biggest Super League crowd um, since Super League came into being, uh, other than for a grand final. Um, and obviously, that's the target that I think they're going to beat quite comfortably. 
the next target, as Mike said, is the biggest crowd ever to see a game in France. And, and I think they could get up to 40,000 with, with, with a bit of luck. The key thing is, we just want the stadium to look reasonably full, don't we? I mean, I'm sure that they'll have the bottom tiers open, probably the top tiers, probably not. Yeah. Um, and that should make it look pretty good on, 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 on television to, to the casual viewer. And, you know, the, the message has got to be that Rugby League is really going somewhere. I mean, it would be great, wouldn't it, if afterwards the Barcelona club actually put something out saying this was such a great game that we're thinking about getting into Rugby League ourselves, which, which they could quite easily do because yeah. they are a multi-sports club, aren't oh, that's they? That's right, yeah. yeah. I mean, if, if we achieved some kind of landmark figure, i.e. biggest club game in France or Spain, whichever you like to call it, but if we achieve some landmark figure, we can disregard the, the Rugby Union Championship final to some extent um, and show that the game is making progress there from the Challenge Cup to now, then that would be a big achievement and a big boost as well. Right, Andy, just to move this on slightly, you you didn't go to Toronto for the Swinton game. We've all seen what Derek said about the attendance and was it was it as high as it was. What were the people of Swinton saying who were there? Did they think that that crowd was as big as it was made out to be? Absolutely. My operations director was uh, reporting back from, from over in... Uh, in Toronto, and, and he said it was a, a very, very large crowd. Mm -hmm. um, it's an unusual scenario whereby they come, they sort of drift in and out the the, uh, the game as it's in mm -hmm. in process. But uh, by the all by all accounts, staff, players, everybody, other fans, they felt that you know it was a large crowd, and uh, nobody seemed to raise an eyebrow at the, at the nine thousand nine and a half thousand reported. Now you, they will be involved in uh, summer bash along with along with yourself, in a couple of weeks' time. It's obviously the same weekend as the Barcelona trip, which may take a few off the gate. There has been a bit of talk over, for some time now, some of Ash, is it worth it, is it not? What's your take on it? I like it. I like mm -hmm. it. It's been, uh, I think anything, with, with, with the lack of TV coverage of Championship, anything that gives the competition profile, in my eyes, is very good. Mm -hmm. um, I think... The, the, the sport moving forward has to have more events. Generally, I think, you know, whether the Magic Weekends are great, Summer Bash is great, and whether more in, events can be introduced as we move forward, more the merrier for me, really. I think mm -hmm. anything that gets TV viewing, it's all about the eyeballs, and as we move towards 2021, it's about getting people, you know, engaged and watching the sport, isn't it? And, and these things can only help, in my no, view. I think it, it's, it's great. You know, the, we don't get the chance to see... Championship Rugby League on Sky, other than Toronto this season, of course. Mm. But it's great to see, you know, clubs like Batley and Dewsbury playing each other, you know. And the Summer Bash games are always incredibly competitive games and really enjoyable to watch. And I think most most sides play a really good brand of rugby. So I think it's a really good event. I, I, I wish more people would go there uh, because certainly the second day last year was was a fairly disappointing crowd, if we're really honest about it. But um, I, I, I just want to come back, though, if I may, to, to, to Mike and, and Mike's um, love of French rugby league. I'm quite curious to know, Mike, how you got so interested in, in rugby league in France. You've written two books, haven't you? The Forbidden Game, which was an incredibly well-researched book, and you followed it up with The Struggle and the Daring, which is another... Brilliant research, brilliantly researched book. I think you've done a fantastic job in both cases, um, and I'm just curious to know what what gives what 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 motivated you to to actually do that because it's, you, the results are so impressive. As far as the the current book is concerned, um, after I'd written the first one, 
detailing the history of the game from its inception in 1934 to the, the banning by the Vichy government in 1940, people said, oh, yes, but the game came back in the 50s. You know, France played in the World Cup final in 54. They beat the Aussies in their own backyard in, on the 51 tour and, and again in 1955. What went wrong after that? And I thought I ought really to find some questions to, to that um, to the answers, rather, to, to, to that, those questions um, and dig up a whole lot more questions along the way as it happened. But, but really, those 51 tourists who beat the Australians so convincingly with a style of play that hadn't been seen before deserve something better than they had previously had. Um, in that very few people in this country at least knew about that exploit, or if they did, it was very sketchy. Um, and to honour those people, that great, great team of the 1950s, uh, four or five of whom featured in a world team, you know, w was something that I had to do. But also to explain why, they, why France is no longer a member of the big four nations that it used to be, and why it slowly uh, slipped down the scale. And there are many reasons for that. Um, which I detailed in the book. How, how do we get France <clears throat> to be one of the big four? Well, I guess it's big five now, isn't it, with the way that Tonga have emerged? Yeah. How do um, you go about it? Well, it, it's, first of all, you need, you need the Catalans to be working hand-in-glove with the Federation to promote young players. Um, so you're not going to get anything happening in the short term. It's got to be a long-term project, and that's what the Federation has to look into. Detection of players... Uh, bringing them through, nurturing them, making sure that they've got good coaches in place to coach young players, um, and also pathways through the Catalans and through Toulouse into the professional environment, because the player pool at the moment is is not as big as it ought to be. From France to Swinton, Andy, I know you've got your own ambitious plans to, to grow Swinton. Just outline some of them. What's your vision for the club? Well, the... The first 18 months since uh, getting involved was all about stability, bringing some, uh, you know, some continuity to the club and, uh, and putting that platform in place really to build on. And I think we've done that now. Obviously, the, the changes within the game uh, make things a little bit more difficult than we saw from the outset. But, you know, you've got to, you've got to roll with it and, and we are doing. Um, we've got a vision really to, you know, it's all sustainability has been our buzzword since I came in and whatever we do moving forward is all, all about having a sustainable model but an ambitious model as well. Mm -hmm. I think the changes within the sport, we, we speak about the Torontos, obviously the new the new bids coming in over at Ottawa and, uh, and New York, maybe change our, our sort of planning a little bit. We are geographically a Manchester club. Um, I think the big cities are the, are the way forward, you know, the... Mm -hmm. York have come to the fore, Bradford's, Leeds, yeah. you know, the, the Manchester fits in with it. So, we, so would we, that involve you changing your club name to Manchester, for example? We haven't gone that far. We've, mm. we've, we've got to look at different <coughs> scenarios. You know, we, we've obviously, historically, we, we are Swinton, we'll always be Swinton. But, but is, is the vision still to get back to Swinton? Uh, yeah, that's, you know, we, we've plans in place to develop a, a piece of land in, in partnership with Moorside Rangers, the local uh, community football team. Mm -hmm. um, but we have to obviously look at the you know other options and you'd be, you, you wouldn't be doing your job as a director if, for the business if you, if you didn't look at all aspects and potential you know new routes. And I think Manchester is something that we've got to look at seriously because mm -hmm. it's, it aligns itself with, with what's going on in sport, doesn't it? You have put it on the badge, haven't you, Manchester now? We have, yeah. I think when you talk about, you know, we're not going to throw away the history or heritage mm. of our club, you know, we've... We've put it onto the badge. It's a branding exercise. You know, branding's big in, 
in sport and, and it's not as if we're sat outside of Manchester trying to tap into something. We are a Manchester club, so yeah. geographically we've got to take advantage. And I think it's interesting that when you went to Toronto recently, I think the Toronto club, if I'm right in saying, actually promoted the fact that you're from Manchester. Yes. And of course, yes. Manchester chimes, you know, has a much bigger ring to it in Toronto than Swinton would do with, you know, with respect. And, yeah. um, you know, maybe that's one reason why they got such a big crowd there, actually, well, when you were there. you'd like to think so. I mean, we, we got a lot of plaudits last year from David Argyle in respect of our supporters. I think we They drank well, apparently. Well, the, <laughs> that, 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 you can rest assured our fans can drink. That's one thing they are good at. But, uh, no, I think Manchester, you, you switch your, your television on and you're looking at sport, not necessarily a sport that you normally watch, and you see Manchester, Toronto, you see Manchester, you know, Toulouse, Catalan... The big names, big cities, bright lights. I think Looks that's great, what it's all it? about, isn't Looks it? Great, yeah. You know, we've yeah. got to find a way of, of keeping our identity, history and heritage, but moving, you know, taking advantage of our geographical location. Well, hopefully that proves to be a very big success for you, Andy. I'm afraid we don't have time to chew the fat anymore because we have run out of time on this week's Rugby League Back Chat. A big thanks to my guests this evening, Martin Sadler, Andy Maisie and Mike Rylands. We'll be back in two weeks' time, so enjoy your week off and be back for another edition of Rugby League Back Chat. Bye for now. Rugby League Back Chat is sponsored by TotalRL.com.